0: Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to The Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen.
1: They, they begin to spread their clothes on the road. They cut down branches, we read in verse 8, and trees, and spread them on the road. Or branches from the trees, spreading them on the road. By the way, not only was this day significant then, it remains significant now. We celebrate this event every single year. We call it Palm Sunday.
0: Matthew chapter 21, it's time to look at our Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding on the back of a donkey. Now while the worship was short-lived, as Jesus was only a week away from the cross, this event is one of the many things Jesus did to fulfill scripture so we would know who he truly is, the Messiah, the Son of the Living God.
1: Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21, we're looking at the first 22 verses, the title of our message, the Savior Worshipped. For many, it seemed like just any other ordinary day. Mothers cooked breakfast and washed dishes while children played in the streets. Roman soldiers, well, they occupied their post while Jewish merchants set up shop and began to barter with the multitudes of people arriving daily in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Passover. Yet this was anything but an ordinary day. It was a most extraordinary day, for on this day, our Lord and Savior would enter into Jerusalem fulfilling prophecies from the Old Testament. He would enter into Jerusalem receiving worship from people, something that had happened occasionally, privately, but reservedly, and now Openly and publicly, he is allowing himself to be worshipped, to be acknowledged, really as the Son of God and the Savior of the world. And so we find, first of all, that, well, Matthew wants us to know that what was taking place, what was going down was, in fact, a fulfillment of prophecy. We read, they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives And Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, the colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, And laid their clothes on them and set him on them. And a great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he'd come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Well, Matthew, as I shared, in keeping with his purposes, wanting us to know that Jesus was operating on the Father's plan and on the Father's timetable fulfilling the prophecies of the Old Testament proving he was in fact the long-awaited Messiah well he comes fulfilling Zechariah nine. behold your king is coming to you lowly and riding upon a donkey now This wasn't all that unusual. Oftentimes, when kings came in peace, they would ride on a donkey. But if they came in war, if they came to battle, well, they're going to be on horses. And there's going to be chariots following or leading that procession. So there's this prophecy. And and here we find the fulfillment. Our Lord, our Savior Jesus, your king is coming to you lowly, sitting on a donkey, a colt, the full of a donkey, Zechariah 9, nine. Now, Zechariah 9.10, and you don't have to go there, but I want to just draw your attention to it. He jumps all the way from Jesus' first coming to Jesus' second coming, and he begins to talk about his dominion and his peace being over all the earth. And I bring this to your attention because many of us, when we read the Old Testament, have trouble really separating out the two. There are things the Bible said are going to happen, and well, they did in fact happen when Jesus came the first time. Many of the things prophesied, though, have yet to happen. They will be fulfilled when he comes again. We'll be looking at that in some detail when we get to Matthew 24. Know this, though. When Jesus comes again, he won't be riding on a donkey. He won't be lowly. Revelation 19 describes him coming with tens of thousands of his saints, riding upon a white horse. Well, that's our Lord and Savior at his second coming, coming again, this time to rule, to reign, to establish his kingdom on the earth. Now. The multitudes, as all of this is going down, they, they begin to spread their clothes on the road. They cut down branches, we read in verse 8, and trees, and spread them on the road. Or branches from the trees, spreading them on the road. By the way, not only was this day significant then, it remains significant now. We celebrate this event every single year. We call it Palm Sunday. And that's exactly what this was. As they cut down the palm branches and they spread them on the road before him, and as they laid their outer garments on the road before him, they began to publicly proclaim who he was and what that means. And there are three things. First a plea, then a proclamation, and then a word of praise. The plea, Hosanna. It sounds just like praise until you find out that it actually means save now. That's what they were crying out. Save us now. Save, Lord. Save us. Save now. Hosanna. You know, we really are saying the same thing when we, as the Lord instructed us, pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying, save us, Lord. Save us from ourselves. Save us from our culture. Save us from this sinful world. This corrupt community. Lord, save now. And and as they cried out for salvation, well, you have to know there was an inherent problem and, and it carries over into our day. It has a very practical application to our time. Many of them were looking for salvation politically. You see, they were under a political system where the Romans were ruling over them. And they ruled, well, with a rod of iron, as it were. It was a difficult time for God's people. They didn't have all the freedoms that we enjoy here in America. And I do yet see a parallel because there are a lot of people today that when they think of the Lord or what he can do, they think, well, what we need is a political movement to really make things all it could be or all they should be. No, here's the thing. I don't want to say it doesn't matter who's in the White House, or who's in the governor's mansion? In fact, I think it's a blast that Arnie's our governor. Everywhere we traveled, we get connection with people. When we were in Central America, and they're like, "Where are you from?" We're like, "California." They're like, "Arnold," and we're like, "Yeah." <laughs> so, so wherever you go now, people like you. You see, and and uh, it's just a good thing. But I don't see Arnold as any kind of savior of the planet or of California or anything else. I'm praying he'll do better than the last governor and that whoever follows him will do better than he does. But if we look to politics for the solution to men's problems, well, we're going to find, well, there are some things that can happen and should through the political process. Well. It's not really salvation, you see. That's not really why Jesus came or what he intended. There were others and remain others that are more interested in things economically. And as I shared with you before we got into the study, there in Belize, that that poverty was just incredible. And it really shamed us because, you know, we complain up here about things that we don't have or things we can't get or things that we can't do. And then you go somewhere where there is just really no opportunity for improvement, where it's just devastated. And 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 truly down there, there is a need for economic development and, and people need a way to support themselves and their families. But you know, when Jesus first came, there were lots and lots of poor people in Jerusalem and in the surrounding regions and he didn't really set anything up to deal with all those issues. He began to deal with individuals, people, one at a time. He didn't come to deal with things politically. He's not a political savior or an economic savior. What Jesus came to do is, is deal with our ultimate need, and that's relational, you see. Jesus saves us from our sins from the penalty of sin, as we've looked at in past studies, from the, the power that sin had in our life. You shall call his name Jesus. We read it in our Christmas story, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus came to save us relationally. Sin separates us from God. Jesus died so we could be reconnected to God. That's really what it's all about. And, and so, as they're crying out, Save now! Save now! Hosanna! Hosanna! Some of you have no doubt wondered and, and pondered, how could it be that here on Palm Sunday, it's Hosanna! Hosanna! And, and in just a few days, it'll be, Crucify Him! Crucify Him! Well, I think it's directly related to the fact that rather than going up to the San Antonio Fortress and demanding them put down their arms and surrender, here I am, the King of Kings, No, Jesus went into the temple and began to cleanse it saying, hey, this is to be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of thieves. He wasn't doing what they expected him to do. He wasn't changing anything politically. He wasn't changing anything economically. No, he came to deal relationally. And that's really what we're all about. You may come here with economic problems or other problems. Hey, all of us go through seasons of that, but know this. While Jesus is concerned with every aspect of your life, his ultimate concern is how you are connecting with the Father and how you're connecting with one another. It's relational for him. So if today you say, save now, and you mean, make me right with you. If you say, save now, and you're saying, make me right with others, well... That's exactly what he's intending. That's exactly what he's purposing. So there's the plea, Hosanna. Then there's a proclamation. They're saying, save now, son of David. Again, in our Christmas service, we saw that this is a messianic title. When they call him the son of David, they are acknowledging him as the long-awaited Savior, the Messiah. And so they're pleading pleading with him to save and they're acknowledging that he is the savior and can save and then there's praise blessed is he who comes in the name of the lord blessed is he now skipping down to verse 10 when he'd come to jerusalem all the city was moved saying who is this and you know whenever jesus is actually being preached or shared or when he's present and by the way, where two or three are gathered together in his name, there he is in the midst. He's present here, and whenever he's being worshipped and publicly heralded, well, there will be a movement among the people. The word it well it's a powerful one; it means to shake or to agitate or to tremble. The picture is the whole city was kind of trembling with either excitement, anticipation, anger, frustration well. What kind of people were there? The Roman soldiers, you've got to picture it. They're watching this whole procession, no doubt with some amusement. Here are a group of people acknowledging, here's our king, here's the savior, here's the son of David. And what do they see? They see Jesus riding a donkey, a bunch of people laying their cloaks down and and putting the palm branches and they're thinking, hey, here's a king we got to worry about, right? Here's a king. This is great. This is funny. They may have been quaking, but they weren't quaking or shaking for fear. It would have been for, well, amusement's sake. But not everyone was amused at what was taking place. The spiritual leaders were enraged, and we'll see that here in a moment. Why? Well, they see that Jesus is allowing himself to be publicly worshipped. And if you read through the other gospel accounts, at one point they say, tell him to stop, tell him to stop. And Jesus says, hey, if they stopped, the stones themselves would cry out. And I've often thought how wonderful it would have been if a dead silence all of a sudden and the stones began to just, Hosanna, Hosanna. Such a thing could happen. Such a thing, well, Jesus said it would have to happen. Hmm. Excuse me, little throat coat. It's for your benefit. Um, ooh, it tastes good, though. Something bad in there. Um... <laughs> So so that the Roman soldiers amused, the the spiritual leaders enraged, but get this, the worshippers curious and questioning as they begin to say, who is this? What's this all about? What's going on? Who is he? Well, the multitude says, this is Jesus. Again, going back to Christmas since we just celebrated it a couple weeks ago. You shall call his name Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. Then he says, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. That word, the, is incredibly important. It's not a prophet. It's not just saying, hey, he's another of many or one following in the footsteps of others. No. It was prophesied that one like Moses would arise to deliver the people from bondage. It's interesting if you see the pieces of the puzzle coming together. Moses, the deliverer of the Old Testament. It all happens through the Passover, which these people have come to Jerusalem to celebrate. Here's Jesus, the prophet, promised one like unto Moses, who would deliver his people who would bring them out of bondage not the Roman oppression but their own oppression the bondage of sin and its nature and and all that it brings into our lives and the devastation we experience as a result so the multitudes ask who is it? who is he? and the multitudes who knew responded Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee now Jesus heads directly to the temple, and for some, this would be a deja vu. You see, at the beginning of his ministry, Jesus had gone into the temple and cleansed it. Now, three years later, he does the very same thing. And before we look at it, let me share with you that there is a very practical application for me personally and I believe for each and every one of you personally, when I first came to the Lord, there were so many things that had to change. And I was kind of oblivious, I truly was. I mean, I knew that immorality was wrong and that would have to go. I knew that lying or stealing or, you know, I the, the basic sins, you know. But there were some things I just didn't see as sin. So much so that one day I stood with my very best friend in a line. Like some of you stand after the service. Do you want to just say hi to me or ask how things are going? Or maybe you have a prayer request? And, and I was in a line, my pastor Chuck Smith, rather long line, rather large church. And when we got up there, I said, hey, I'm a young Christian. This is my buddy Leo. We're, we're you know just starting to get involved here. And we've just come to the Lord recently. And people are telling us we can't smoke pot and be Christians. Is that true? <laughs> no. You got to know I'm a bit naive at that point, right? Because how dumb do you have to be to think, you know, smoking pot and being a Christian? Well, those go hand in hand; those work out fine. No, that you got to know that's a problem. But see, I lived in this little bubble where almost everyone I knew got stoned. That's the absolute truth. I thought there were a few freaks out there, probably you know, geeks and nerds that didn't get stoned, and and uh, you know, most people were getting loaded. Now, the bottom line is, the majority of people don't get stoned, never did get stoned, and were much smarter than me, who was getting stoned. But, but I bring this to your attention only to say that there were lots of things in those first weeks and months of being a Christian where Jesus just said, it's time to clean house. That stuff's got to go. That can't be. Can't do that anymore. Can't do this. And, and I got to be honest with you, I was never really bummed out by it. Because I I sensed from the very beginning that everything Jesus wanted from me, he had something better for me. And it's really turned out that way. There's not one thing I ever turned from in order to please him that I've regretted. And, And it won't be any different for you. But here's my point. If you're a brand new baby Christian here, young in the Lord... Lots of changes taking place. By the way, you are, the Bible says, individually and then we corporately, the temple of the Holy Spirit. We don't have a tabernacle as they did in the wilderness. We don't have a temple as they did in Jesus' day. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when he cleans house in the beginning, that's good news. And he's doing it because, well, there are some things that need to happen in your life that need to happen in my life that will never happen if those other things continue to happen. Does that make sense? So so what he does is early on in the ministry, he cleans house. Now, three years later, here he is cleaning house again. And it's interesting that the very things he had cleansed and dealt with and rebuked in the beginning, well, they've crept back in. Fortunately, not for me personally, and hopefully not for you either. But, but, if you find that, well, Maybe you are a little backslidden. I don't know if there's really such a thing as that. It's like a little pregnant. You are or you aren't. But the the bottom line is, if you realize that you're not in the place you once were with the Lord, you're not experiencing the same peace or the same joy, you're not experiencing the, the same love for Him and passion for Him, well, then that is a backslidden state. And see, because we may not be doing the big things that everybody knows are wrong, that even the heathen and the pagan knows are wrong, even though that may not be happening, that doesn't mean that we can't subtly slide away, drift away. The book of Hebrews talks about this sort of imperceivable drifting away as we spend less time with the Lord, less time in the word, less time in prayer. And it's not just dedicating ourselves to more reading and more praying and more pursuing of the Lord. No, it's, it's a whole different thing. It's just saying, Lord, I don't want anything to creep back into my life that would hinder me or keep me from you. I want to be as close to you as possible, as fruitful for you as possible, as faithful to you as possible. Well, what happens as he enters in, verse 12 says, He went into the temple of God, drove out all who bought and sold, in the temple, overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read? Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. Then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and he lodged there. As he cleanses the temple, see it. It's a public judgment of those abusing the house of God. A public judgment on those abusing the people of God. Now, people had traveled from all over to celebrate this feast. If you were traveling a great distance, you knew you needed a sacrifice. Bringing a sacrifice with you is difficult, so many brought money. They sold a the lamb at home, they brought their money, and, and they would buy a Passover lamb. The problem was there was an exorbitant exchange rate in order to trade your money for the money that was acceptable or could be used in the purchase of the animals. Those who live close enough to bring a lamb, well, that lamb would be closely inspected. And it was common to find a flaw and say, well, this won't do. It needs to be a perfect sacrifice. And I'm thinking that this is kind of how the scene would go. The guy would inspect the lamb and say, no, this is never going to do. But I'll tell you what, I can give you a great deal on this little baby right here and I'll take yours as a trade-in and uh, everything will work out wonderful. So they were ripping off the people and forcing them to buy lambs, well, And then what are they going to do with your lamb? I'm thinking the next guy that comes, his lamb's not going to be acceptable. But all of a sudden, your lamb is. And so it's just this continual taking advantage of the people of God. Now, there's so many ways that happens today, but I don't really want to go down that road because it will divert us from really where the Lord would have our attention be today. What I do want to share is that he said... My house, this house, my father's house, it's to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. And so God calls us to absolute integrity and absolute honesty in every possible area of our life. And so it's easy for me to, to assess, am I always doing what I should do? Am I always faithful in all things? Am I always, well, no, none of us are always And so it's easy for me then to say, Lord, forgive me and cleanse me, knowing that if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me of all unrighteousness. And that's true for you as well. In
0: Exodus chapter 20, verse 5, we read that God is a jealous God. Now, This can sometimes be a confusing scripture for us due to the way that we use that word jealous. But our Lord is not jealous of us, he is jealous for us. And the image of Jesus cleansing the temple is a great picture of how the Lord feels about those who would take advantage of his children. This should be a comforting picture for all of us. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico and you can visit our website, ccchico.com or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam.